This is a Rooster Teeth production. July 11, 1991, Nigeria Airways Flight 2120, a chartered DC-8 operated by Nation Air, is preparing to take off from King Abdulaziz Airport in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. The flight has 261 people on board and is mostly filled with people returning to Sokoto, Nigeria after completing Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca. Shortly after takeoff while climbing through 2,000 feet, the pilots report the plane is failing to pressurize properly. The crew reports the problem to air traffic control and are instructed to descend to 3,000 feet. Before they can clarify the instructions, the crew is overwhelmed with warning lights and errors in their instruments. They try to return to the airport, but less than 10 minutes after takeoff, the plane slams into the ground just 1.8 miles short of the runway, killing all on board. What happened to Nigeria Airways Flight 2120? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello. And uh, we're back. We're here to another episode here for your uh, your podcasting listening enjoyment, question mark. Uh, <laughs> I want to remind everyone to follow us on social media at Black Box Down Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We post uh, supplemental images and information that maybe mm-hmm. we can't adequately convey in an audio-only format. We, I think we try to do our best, but sometimes it, it helps to see a picture to try to contextualize yeah. things. It's always the most important things that you really need absolutely what, pictures? need yes <laughs> i'm talking about the i'm talking about the picture that uh you posted of booger oh yeah and you can also see pictures of chris's dog booger who i mistakenly called first officer but chris corrected me and told me he's captain yeah he dressed as a pilot for context not just a yeah. random picture of a dog he's dressed up as a pilot yeah sometimes you may have heard booger or us talking about booger in some of the episodes or you maybe you hear him in the background every now and then because he likes to bark he does um okay Nigeria Airways Flight 2120, like I said, it was a chartered uh, passenger flight going from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia to Sokoto, Nigeria on July 11th, 1991. Uh, The flight was crewed by William Allen, who was 47 years old and had 10,700 flight hours. Uh, It was First Officer Kent Davidge, who was 36 years old, had 8,000 flight hours. And Engineer Victor Fair, who was 46 and had 7,500 flight hours. Uh, It was an older plane. It was 23 years old. It was a DC-8 uh, that was usually used by uh, the Canadian airline Nation Air, but was on lease to Nigeria at the time. Passengers began boarding the plane at King Abdulaziz International Airport a little before 8 a.m. Saudi Arabia time. Uh, and as they were boarding, a mechanic told a flight coordinator that he had needed to get some nitrogen to inflate a tire. They, they used nitrogen in the tires? Yeah, they used nitrogen because, it's first of all, it's inert, right? Like it, it there's mm. no yeah. chance of a fire from it. And also, it's less susceptible to pressure changes uh, based on mm. temperature. It's just a more stable gas. Like if you ever inflate your car tire, like you go down to you know the yeah. gas station and you pay a couple quarters, and that just is like an air compressor. But if you go to some tire shops, you can actually get nitrogen put into your car tires if you want. Oh, to. yeah, and and so like you know here, for example, in Austin where we are, when it gets really cold in winter. Well, not really. <laughs> no, it gets colder in other places, but we get a big, a big exchange from the heat of the summer to the cold of the winter. There's mm-hmm. a big temperature difference. If you put nitrogen in your tires, you, you'll see less of a change. Like normally when it gets cold here, everyone's tire pressure lights go off because yeah. they, they report underinflated. So if you go to like a tire changing place, sometimes they'll be, you, you can ask them, they'll put nitrogen in your tire. That's I had no idea that was a thing. That's a little life yeah. pro tip for you. Yeah. Covers planes and cars. Okay. So like I said, one of the inboard tires and the left main gear was underinflated, so they were going to try to find some nitrogen just to top it off. Mm-hmm. Then at about 8.27 a.m., the flight was cleared for takeoff on runway 34 left, 
And 15 seconds later, as they were rolling down the runway, going at a speed of about 50 knots, which is 57 miles an hour or 93 kilometers an hour, the flight crew heard an oscillating sound. Engineer Fair asks, what's that? And First Officer Davich replied with, we got a flat tire, you figure? Two seconds later, they heard the sound again, and Captain Allen asked Davidge, you're not leaning on the brake, eh? To which Davidge replied that he was not. By this time, the plane was going about 80 knots, which is 92 miles an hour or 148 kilometers an hour. 28 seconds after the rollout began, Captain Allen called out V1, and First Officer Davidge made a comment about some sort of shimmy that he was feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if we've explicitly ever said this in the past, but V1 is the speed at which they cannot safely stop on the runway. We had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay, we had, I wasn't sure if we had, yeah, yeah, they have to keep going. So they might not be at proper speed to take off, but they need to get there, they need to be able to take off. Yeah, because if they tried to stop, they would go past the runway nope. and, and exactly. hit whatever's on the other side. Exactly. Oh yeah, that's right, we covered it probably in the runway yeah. overrun episode. Okay, six seconds later, Captain Allen called for rotation, and after a positive rate confirmation, they retracted the landing gear. Shortly after takeoff, Engineer Fair reported that he had four low-pressure lights, followed by a report that they were losing pressurization. Over the next three minutes, several indications of system anomalies occurred, which included their spoiler light went off, gear unsafe light, they had a loss of hydraulics, uh, and a couple more issues. Hmm. All sorts of stuff has happened. Right. Do you have any speculation when tons of lights start going off and warnings all start cascading at the same time, what might be happening? I'm trying to think. I mean... My first thought was, okay, there was something wrong with the tire and it didn't, like, when it retracted, it didn't retract all the way because it was broken and it got stuck mm-hmm. out of the plane. But if with that much stuff going off, I mean, is there, like, some sort of power issue that's not, I don't know. It's possible when you have a bunch of seemingly unconnected errors and lights going off like this, you probably have a fire. Oh, yeah. Huh. We're going to get to the details here, but you know, like a fire it could be burning through a bunch of different systems all at the same time, like a bunch of wires mm. and causing errors to go off. So at this point, Captain Allen calls air traffic control to request to level off at 2,000 feet due to the pressurization problems. Uh, but in his call, he made a mistake. He identified himself as Nation Air 2120, not Nigeria 2120. That's not normal, right? To mistake your own plane? It can happen. Nation Air was kind of stepping in to run this oh, route okay, because that's right. the Hodge pilgrimage was going on. So there was extra traffic here. So they saw an opportunity to make money. So they were operating this flight. And as luck would have it, there was another flight at the same time that was also having pressurization problems. Oh my goodness. So the controller mistook this transmission to be from the other flight. He thought it was a Saudi flight that was returning to Jeddah. And so when he responded, he responded to clear that flight to 3,000 feet. And then Captain Allen acknowledges the transmission and says, understand, you want us up to 3,000 feet. But he didn't use his call sign. Oh, no. And then for the next few minutes, the controller assumed that all the calls from that flight were actually from the other Saudi flight. Oh. About a minute after this interaction, flight 2120 levels off at 3,000 feet. And Captain Allen calls air traffic control and asks, could you give us a heading back towards? And then the first officer cuts him off to declare an emergency due to blown tires. Shortly after this, a flight attendant comes into the cockpit to report that there's smoke in the back and that it's real bad. Yeah, so the tire busted and started a fire while taking off, probably? It's possible. Uh. So a few moments later, First Officer Davidge said he lost control of the ailerons. Captain Allen took over control and reported some control difficulties. But then at 8.33, both the cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder failed and stopped recording data. Oh, no. Again, Usually a fire. Yeah. It was at this point that air traffic controller realized which aircraft had an emergency. 
and he gave Flight 2120 a heading to intercept the final approach path and continue to give headings after that. Mm-hmm. The flight was on final approach. It was about 11 miles out from the airport when it lowered the landing gear. And when this happened, um, bodies began to fall out of the plane. Oh, no. From a height of about 2,200 feet what? under the ground below. Yeah. Um, so there was a fire, and it had burned out the floor of the plane. And when oh the landing gear came down, uh, it just basically exposed the interior of the cabin out to the ground. Uh, so, yeah, people started falling out of the plane at this point, 11 miles from the airport. Oh, my God. Were they alive or were they, had they burned, burnt? Had they died in the fire? They had probably passed away by this point. Because um, the in order for, if I, I'm going off the top of my head here, this isn't in my notes. If I'm remembering right, the uh, melting point for the metal is about 1100 degrees Celsius. And so for oh. it to have burned away, this yeah. was a super intense fire. I believe we covered that in the Value yeah. Jet incident, I think, which we did forever ago. Yeah, that's that's like a horror movie like image. Yeah. Like, oh, the landing gear. Oh, my God. And was there fire coming out of it as well? Yeah, there was. And the fire was so intense that, like I said, it softened the metal and started melting it. And the seats in the cabin began to sag into the wheel wells. And by the time the gear was extended, the fire had burned through the seat harness, which causes passengers to start falling from the plane. And then when that gear was lowered, the amount of air that entered the aircraft just, you know, started tearing it apart, started deconstructing that floor. Because there's even more oxygen exposed and just... Right. Plus, it's also the speed of the wind, you know, kind of like exerting more force on it, kind of tearing it apart. So the plane seemed to still be controllable at this point until, according to eyewitnesses, the plane suddenly pointed downward at a 70-degree angle, crashed, and exploded. And they crashed, you know, 9,433 feet short of the runway. So just under two miles short of the runway at 8.38 a.m. And it was completely destroyed, and everyone on board was killed. And it was the second deadliest accident that took place on Saudi Arabian soil. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, I think we've kind of touched on this in the past, like our recent episode with the United Flight 811, where the cargo door got torn out. It's like that force of the wind can start causing more damage and ripping the plane. Oh, we also covered this in the Aloha Airlines flight when the, the ceiling got ripped off. And uh, just that force of the, the wind can start mm-hmm. potentially tearing at the plane. Yeah. So the investigation was carried out by the Saudi Arabian Ministry of Defense and Aviation. And in their investigation, they learned that the problem arose from, like you said, the tires on the landing gear. Mm-hmm. This flight, like I said at the beginning, happened on July 11th. But a few days earlier, on July 7th, the tire pressure was checked on the plane, and the numbers two and four tires were found to be below the minimum requirements. And it was possible that other tires were below minimum pressure requirements as well. I want to, I'm going off the top of my head again here. I want to say that these tires were supposed to be inflated to 180 PSI, but I want to say that the most underinflated one was at about 153, maybe 152, 150. So about 27 to 30 PSI below where it should have been. Okay. And for reference, the tires in my car are supposed to be at 45 PSI. Yeah, I was to say mine are like around 40 or something. That being yeah. said, there's been a many occasion when I've driven with my car tires underinflated. Shouldn't do that. I know, I know. Not as dangerous for you, but still, it's definitely something that should not be done. Yeah, where I'm like, it had a slow leak or something, and I'd mm. fill it up, and then I'd, and then the next week it beats out down again, and I'd like, oh, I gotta go fill it up again, or get it patched or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maintenance personnel. We're aware of the lower pressure on July 7th, like I said, uh, but mm-hmm. they didn't fill up the tire. Weird. They, they pulled a Chris. They were like, yeah, I'll no, do it that later. No, don't say it like that. <laughs> no. Uh, this is, a, this is my, my car with just me, not a plane full of people. 
<laughs> it was discovered later that a mechanic altered the only record of the low pressures when they were first recorded. What He altered it? Yeah, he did that thing where it's like they wrote it down. Like, let's say they wrote down 150. He's like, oh, well, we, can't, we don't have... You know, we're not going to inflate it. So let's just write an eight over the number five. Like oh kind of modify the five to look like an eight. Oh, that's that's messed up. Through pure coincidence, I'm, 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 I'm sidetracked now. We're going to talk about this for a second. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but because we're, we're kind of focused on this at the moment. Uh, by pure coincidence, when the investigators were uh, looking through the wreckage, trying to figure out what happened, one of them was, you know, kind of surveying the area. And he said that a piece of paper blew by his feet and stopped and that he looked down at it and he picked it up and it was this record. What? It was this piece of paper that the mechanic had written over and he said that when he looked at it, he could tell that there were two different colors of ink on it and that it didn't look right to him. So he saved it. It just flew. It just happened to blow by him as he was walking around uh, looking at the crash site. Oh my God. That's like a bad script. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. it's like you would almost think like it's fate, right? I mean, or a ghost, odds, yeah, or like a yeah. That it one that it blows by him, you know, by right by an investigator's feet, and that two he looks down and decides to grab it, like out of all the debris and out of everything in the field, he sees that one piece of paper blow by, and then he picks it up and thinks that's weird hmm. that there's two different colors of ink on it. Yeah, and it was that the the record. What it was that, that was the record. record. That's that the was one. it. <laughs> yeah, that's what they had altered. So it was at the crash site, so it very easily could have just been destroyed and or lost or blown away forever. Right. Oh, my God. By pure fate, it blew by him and he found it and picked it up. Oh, my God. Anyway, it's also unclear if the tires were checked with the pressure gauge after that date. Like I said, this was July 7th, four days before the flight. Nor is it clear if any of the flight crews were made aware of the low pressure. The plane even made another flight before you know this crash on July 10th to Jeddah. And it's supposed to depart on that same day. But the flight was delayed until uh, the 11th. Wait, in cars, they have low pressure notifications. Do they not have that on a plane? I can't answer that definitively. I don't know. Maybe nowadays they do. I would say at this point in time, it was probably up to the maintenance personnel uh-huh. to take care of it and then inform the crew, you know, give them the piece of paper that has the, the readings on it. Because remember, this incident was in 91. So the plane was 23 years old, which means that uh, it would have been manufactured in 1968, right? 68 plus 23, 91. So it was it was an older plane. Yeah. So, okay, that makes sense why there wasn't inherently a pressure gauge notification. And again, I don't know definitively that that exists nowadays, but it seems like something that would be more likely to exist now versus back then. Yeah. I mean, think about it, 68, like the Beatles were still relatively new, right? Like they had just come, yeah. to, they had just made their debut in the United States in 1964. Like think about what a different world it was back then. Yeah, that's wild. Okay. When maintenance personnel told the flight coordinator that he needed to inflate a tire, he was taken to a support facility at the airport to get some nitrogen. But when he got there, he was told that all the nitrogen tanks were empty. The only other source of nitrogen would have been at the Saudi Arabian Airlines maintenance facility. However, the delay that would be caused by going over there was deemed as unacceptable to the project manager and the manager told the coordinator, just forget about it. Oh, no. Is nitrogen the only thing they can do with tires? They, could they do air? I, th- I don't think they're supposed to do that. I mean, that makes sense if the because if the whole pressure thing. I mean, it's insane pressure changes and temperature changes. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they could put air into it, but they're not supposed to. Just like they're supposed yeah. to put nitrogen. <laughs> like, they should have inflated it. Well, how do they run out of nitrogen? I mean, they come in tanks and, you know, again, I, uh, this is speculation on my part. This isn't a place Nation Air normally flies. Maybe they didn't have their full maintenance facility here. Yeah. Okay. They were contracting to Nigeria Air. 
And this wasn't a normal route. You know, there was this was an extra route added mm-hmm. on because of the Hodge that was going on. Yeah. I can't definitively tell you why they didn't have nitrogen, but it seems like it's just something they should have on hand. It seems like yeah. out of all the maintenance you do on a plane, that's probably not the most expensive thing you have to keep on hand. Yeah. That's why I was like, how did they run out? It's like, sorry, we don't have any hammers or screw. Like, it's like, <laughs> but you you build houses. Or it's like if you're cooking, like, yeah, we don't have salt. Yeah. <laughs> That's a better analogy. Thank you. You guys already know all about ExpressVPN. How could you not? I talk about them all the time on the show. Can't stress enough about the importance of protecting your online activity from big tech who track, spy, and profit off of you. But that's actually another reason many of our listeners love using ExpressVPN, and that's Netflix. See, thousands of shows on Netflix are only available outside of the U.S., so you need to change your country if you want to access them. What the ExpressVPN app does is encrypts your data and reroutes it through a server location of your choice. This not only protects your data, but also lets you control which country you want Netflix to think you're in. So ExpressVPN lets you choose from over 90 different countries. So every time you run out of stuff to watch, you can just fire up the app on your laptop or smart TV, switch your country and hit connect. Once you refresh the page, you'll get a brand new selection of shows. It's that simple. And here's the best part. It's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows or sports on other streaming services too. Uh, For example, BBC iPlayer, which is free and available in the UK. Look, there's a reason why ExpressVPN is the number one rated VPN provider by publishers like Wired, CNET, and most importantly, me. So be smart, guys. Protect your data. Stop paying full price for streaming services while only getting access to a fraction of their content. Visit expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown right now. Get three extra months of their service for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash blackboxdown. Expressvpn.com slash blackboxdown to learn more. We're all looking for ways to save some money, right? Especially now. So let me ask you this. How would you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? That's how much Gabby customers save per year on average on car and home insurance. That's why when I was shopping for insurance, I used Gabby. Uh, it's the time of the year we go shopping for insurance, and Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers. Just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll see quotes for the exact same coverage you already have. Uh, I did it myself. I just had to link my existing insurance. It was super fast. It looked at exactly what I had showed me comparisons from other companies for the exact same coverage. Uh, and in my case, I already had the best price, so I didn't didn't have to do anything, but I knew I'm already getting the best deal for my insurance. So Gabby customers do save $961 per year on average, uh, and I bet that would be nice to have in your pocket every year. But if they can't find you savings, just like in my case, they'll let you know so you, you can relax knowing you have the best rate out there, and they'll never sell your info, so no annoying spam or robocalls. So you're probably overpaying on car and home insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check. There's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash BlackBoxDown. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash BlackBoxDown. Gabby.com slash BlackBoxDown. So when the plane was rolling down the runway and reached 80 knots, the number one tire started to break apart and leave marks on the runway. Uh The flanges for the number two wheel also began to trace along the runway with rubber deposits coming off the number two tire due to it being deflated. As the plane reached V1 the number two wheel was not rotating at all, and the full width of the wheel assembly was being ground away. According to witnesses on the ground, the takeoff seemed normal, but sparks and flames were seen in the area of the left main landing gear, and flames remained visible until the landing gear was retracted shortly after takeoff. So basically, the tire was falling apart, and in fact, like, if you think about, like, what would be, like, the rim on a car, was being Uh ground down. Oh, yeah. And it was like flat on one side. Instead of being round, like it had been ground down so much that on one side it was flat. Because there's a lot of weight on that. There's a lot of weight. A lot of speed, a lot of weight. Due to the design of airline jets, this accident became inevitable as soon as they retracted their landing gear. Because they basically brought all that burning rubber up in close proximity 
to the hydraulic and electrical systems, which caused them to fail. The fire also burned through the center fuel tank, which intensified the fire, causing it to eventually just consume the cabin floor like we talked about earlier. If the crew knew that the gear was on fire and if they had just left the gear extended, it's likely that they could have averted the accident. But pulling it back in, put it into the cab. Right. They they brought it in and that just uh, caused the fire to really damage the plane. So is it impossible for a plane with low pressure to, like in its tires is that going to happen is it going to start a fire no matter what or is this just it was so low on pressure no i mean it's it's not inevitable i hate to say it it's just you know it's something that we say often it's just one of those things it was just really bad luck compounded yeah underinflated tire maybe the tire was worn which also caused extra stress and caused it to fail regardless planes are not supposed to take off with underinflated tires if they take off with an underinflated tire they will not catch fire 100% of the time yeah i think that's the question you're asking it's not an inevitable uh, conclusion. I was thinking about um, when we talked about the Concorde. Yeah. The commercial plane that would go so fast it would break the sound barrier. And that one, you said like they, they would, it was regular that they would just pick tire pieces off. after They had to replace the tire so often because it would go right. so fast that the tires would just break as part of normal business. So it's like mm-hmm. just a, 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 a tire popping or something shouldn't break. I mean, that, that happens on normal planes, right? They just pop a tire? Yeah, I mean, on landing and takeoff, it, it happens. It's, um, I mean, it's not, it doesn't happen every time, but it's not uncommon. I, I don't know if I've ever been on a plane where that happens. Maybe I wouldn't even know. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not like a super rare thing. It happens. Mm. And it's funny you bring up that Concorde incident because initially after this accident happened, very quickly, Nation Air came out and said that there was debris on the runway uh, and that the plane oh. had hit debris and that's what caused uh, the accident. And the investigation committee, you know, who are looking into it, you know, they're like, we haven't said that. We have no evidence of that. You know, <laughs> they, they're trying to figure out why did the airline say that? And it's a whole other thing. I mean, we don't have to get into all of that. But, you know, we've talked about before how different parties have different incentives to find different outcomes for mm-hmm. incidents. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Nation Air was very quick to say that it wasn't their fault and they hit something on the runway. Yeah. Which was not the case. So there wasn't also something on the runway. No, there was not. So the report also examined the flight crew's decision-making and crew resource management issues. The training that the flight crew received did not include rejecting a takeoff for tire or wheel failures, and there were not any requirements for there to be training on this subject. Hmm. Their training on rejected takeoffs only covered engine fire, engine failure, and complete electrical failure, and the crew was actually acting consistently with their training. The flight crew had inadequate knowledge of the tire conditions and the consequences of operating with an underinflated tire. The ministry believes that if there were clearer indications available to the crew, the takeoff would have been rejected. Yeah. And there are indications and protection systems in other aircraft that include wheel well heat indicators and wheel well fire warnings, wheel well fire extinguishers, and brake temperature indications and tire pressure indications. So it's kind of like what you were asking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So other planes have these systems to, you know, one, tell the crew and to do something about it. Not only, you know, monitor temperature and fire conditions, but also have wheel well fire extinguishers, which you know, would have averted this. Yeah. The ministry believes that there was also a problem with coordination in the cockpit. According to the report, the captain came from a military background with command structure, and the first officer came from smaller aircraft and flights where command and control were his responsibility. There was supposedly some discomfort caused by the captain's commanding management style, and it's, you know, we, we talked about one of those. One of those was captured on the cockpit voice recorder when the captain questions the first officer if he's using the brakes during the takeoff roll. Mm-hmm. The question could come across as condescending, 
since it's common knowledge, you don't press the brakes during takeoff. Like, imagine if you're flying yeah, and someone asks yeah. you, hey, do you have the brakes on? Like, no, I know we're taking off. I don't have the brakes on. <laughs> yeah, but he was like, something's wrong is essentially like... Right. Like, he's just going through the possibilities. The ministry also found the crew did not use their checklist during the emergency, and there could have been some better cockpit resource management in general during this accident. I also feel compelled to mention that they also found that the air traffic controllers mix up between the two planes didn't really contribute to it either, that the plane still returned as quickly as it could have. I was wondering about that. They just went up another thousand feet, but that's not very much at all. Yeah, and they were still in the process of turning back to um, the airport. They had to execute a really wide turn to come back and to line up uh, on the runway, and this really didn't affect uh, their time at all. You know, of course, as with any incident, uh, they had some findings as a result of this. The findings are... The organizational structure for the deployment team was ill-defined and fragmented. Mm-hmm. Deployment maintenance personnel were not qualified or authorized to perform the function of releasing the aircraft as being fit to fly. The number two and number four tire pressures were below the minimum for flight dispatch. Other tires may also have been below minimum pressures. Maintenance personnel were aware of the low tire pressures but failed to rectify the faults. The persons who were aware of the low pressures had insufficient knowledge of the hazards of operating at low tire pressures. Mm-hmm. This is all bad. This is all terrible stuff. Yeah. Well, wait, how did they? Yeah, they didn't know that it was bad for a plane to have low tire pressure. They didn't know maybe the hazards. So like they knew it was bad. But they didn't know necessarily how bad it was. But I, who's going to if I worked on a plane, I'm not going to assume anything. I'm not going to assume it's not that bad. Maybe they were thinking like like you and your car analogy, like, hey, you know, maybe yeah. they're the same way. Like I, I, I have my car tires underinflated all the time. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, could, I, I mean, I'm not excusing it by any stretch, but I could see them thinking like, it's just an underinflated tire. What's the worst that could happen? It's going to pop when they land. Yeah. The project manager was aware of a low tire pressure, but was not qualified to assess its importance and was responsible for the aircraft schedule and directed that the aircraft depart without servicing the tire. The lead mechanic who was aware of the requirement for and had requested nitrogen for tire servicing did not countermand the decision of the project manager. There was no evidence to indicate that this flight crew were ever informed of the low tire pressures. It's not like they had a magic moment of fate where the the low pressure paper floated up to their foot. (laughs) Yeah. During the taxi from the ramp to the runway, the transfer of load from the underinflated number two tire to the number one tire on the same axle resulted in over deflection, overheating and structural weakening of the number one tire. Uh, It's also important to note that, you know, like we said, this is, it's early in the morning. It's like 8 a.m., but mm-hmm. it is July in Saudi Arabia, so it's already getting pretty warm. I, I want to say that at the time that they were taxiing, it was already 87 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about 30 Celsius, and that their taxi was very long. I believe they had to taxi for about three miles to get to the oh. runway to take off. So they spent a lot of time on that hot tarmac, which you know exacerbated yeah. the problem. The number two wheel stopped rotating for reasons not established. Friction between the wheel brake assembly and the runway generated sufficient heat to raise the temperature of tire remnants above that required for a tire fire to be self-sustaining. Rubber remnants ignited during the takeoff roll. Mm. The crew were aware of unusual symptoms early and throughout the takeoff roll and the captain continued the takeoff. The aircraft was not equipped with warning systems which would have provided the flight crew with adequate information on which to make a decision to reject the takeoff after tire failure. And the last one here... The evidence indicates that the wheel well fire involved tires, hydraulic fluid, magnesium alloy, and fuel. The fuel was probably introduced as a result of a burn through of the center fuel tank. So like we said, you know, it burned through and ignited that fuel. Which again, I think this is something we've kind of talked about in the past. Um, Jet fuel is not explosive. 
you know, it's yeah. going to burn, but that's why, you know, the fire got into the fuel tank. But, you know, you think about that, like in your car, gasoline is explosive. You think of like a huge explosion in uh, jet fuel. It just burns. Yeah. You know how you said it, it seemed to be, um, the plane seemed to be controllable until like right at the end when it dipped down. I wonder if it was controllable, but at that point the fire had reached the cabin and, and that's why it became, un- they dipped down or if it's just the plane at that point was just falling apart. I think the plane was falling apart. Uh, you know, it was more or less controllable. I, th- I believe once the gear was lowered, then, you know, the fire really intensified. Like you said, that's more oxygen being introduced. It really started to spread on top of the mm. extra forces from the wind hitting the damaged portions of the aircraft. I think at that point yeah. it was just, it was impossible. It, like they were really struggling to hold it together. And then at that point, there was no way to do it anymore. Mm. So uh, there are a few recommendations. Uh, I got three here that I'm going to read through. All transport aircraft be equipped with wheel well overheat and fire detectors, wheel well fire protection, brake temperature sensors, tire pressure sensors, and corresponding mm. indications in the cockpit. So this is exactly what you said. Hey. Yeah, there should be tire pressure sensors. And on top of that, they should have fire protection, fire detectors. And they should know uh, if something's going on in the wheel well. Training of flight crews on tire performance and vulnerability to ensure safe operation and the formal inclusion of crew resource management in initial and recurrent training. Uh, so basically just let people know how bad things can be if you don't have your tires maintained properly. And of course, our favorite, more crew resource management. Yeah. Better monitoring of maintenance operations and training maintenance personnel in adequate tire servicing and tire vulnerability. So again, just more training as when it comes to tires. Yeah. The NTSB also sent a note to the Saudi Arabian Ministry of Defense and Aviation saying they believe the issues of the flight crew decision-making and airmanship should have been given greater attention. The NTSB said the Saturday report should have clearly indicated the flight crew was aware of the problem on the takeoff roll while at speed uh, and with sufficient runway remaining to reject the takeoff successfully. So the NTSB just basically says the crew should have known better and they should have rejected the takeoff while they still had a chance when they were on the ground before they hit V1. Yeah. So soon after the accident, a group of Nation Air flight attendants pooled funds to create a memorial with a plaque inscribed of the name of the victims and a cherry tree. And the memorial can be found at the head office of the Greater Toronto Airports Authority. The crash, combined with Nation Air's poor reputation for on-time service and mechanical problems, led to serious problems with the public image and reliability uh, among tour operators. Mm -hmm. These difficulties were compounded when Nation Air locked out its unionized flight attendants and proceeded to replace them with strike breakers in November of 1991. Yeah. That lockout lasted 15 months, and by the time it ended in early 1993... Nation Air found itself in severe financial trouble. And at the time, Nation Air owed the Canadian government millions of dollars in unpaid landing fees. So creditors began seizing aircraft and demanded cash up front for services. And the company ultimately declared bankruptcy in May 1993, owing 75 million Canadian dollars. Mm. In 1997, Robert Obadia, owner of Nation Air and its parent company, Nollis Air, pled guilty to eight counts of fraud in relation to the company's oh, activities. Like fraud... In respect to like lying, like financial fraud or like... Right, yeah. Okay. So uh, Nation Air no longer exists. And this crash was definitely a contributing factor in their uh, ultimate demise. Did they end up having to pay out a lot of um, lawsuits and, and reparations? From what I can tell, there were a number of like family members who mm-hmm. launched a wrongful death class action lawsuit against them. Yeah. But when Nation Air went bankrupt, that was it. Oh, that sucks. That's awful. And then the the... The guy who forged the tire reading, mm-hmm. did he, what happened to him? Did he get in trouble? I mean, I assume he would have gotten, he got fired at least, but. I'm not entirely certain. Uh, there was no further information about the maintenance personnel involved. So I don't know what happened to them uh, as a result of this. Sorry, I know that's an unsatisfying yeah. answer. No, no, no. 
but I'll just assume he got in trouble. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. This one's, uh, Dennis told me that he had a little bit of trouble um, looking into this one. It was a lot harder to find the accident investigation reports and whatnot uh, related mm. to this one. Yeah, well, hopefully he got in a lot of trouble. But that's uh, that's Nigeria Airways 2120, which was totally preventable, awful incident, which hopefully, you know, as a result of, of this, like we said, there are some much better safety precautions in place now. Thanks to prevent it. <laughs> yeah, thanks to prevent something like this from ever happening again. But thanks for listening, everyone. I want to remind you, uh, give us a follow on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at BlackBoxDownPod. And uh, if you if yeah. you feel so inclined, you can get some Black Box Down merch. You can head over to store.roosterteeth.com to search for Black yeah. Box Down there. And uh, we've got some merchandise there that can directly support the show. Yeah. And go like that picture of Booger the Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we're, uh, we're in the process of starting up a, a Facebook page as well. Oh, we're not in the process. We're gonna, when this comes out, it'll be there. Oh, it'll be out? Okay. Well, we're in the, when we're recording it, we're in the process. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be out. So if you're on Facebook, go, uh, go look for Black Box Down. Yeah. Uh, we'll be posting pictures of the accidents just like we do on Instagram and Facebook and pictures at least one picture of Booger the pilot. <laughs> so that's another place you can do it. And if you find us on Facebook, like us and uh, yeah, share with a friend on Facebook. Yeah, please uh, share that. Get the get the word. Help us get the word out about the podcast. All right, we'll see you guys again next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>